I've spent the last couple of weeks doing some traveling, not too far away, of course, but I've been out on the road some. The week before last, I was in Lincoln <clears throat> all week for classes. And then this past week, Monday and Tuesday, I was in Indianapolis for the National Preaching Summit. That sounds very important, doesn't it? National Preaching Summit. That's what I went to. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful time. I try to go every year and they, they have such good speakers and wonderful people spoke. Mark Scott, who teaches at Lincoln, was there and he spoke. Uh, there's a man named Dr. Jerry Taylor, who's amazing. Just, just love listening to Dr. Taylor speak. And, and, but the best part is always just getting to be together with my friends, you know? I go there and, and I get to be with my friends and we only see each other. Some of us only see each other at this event. And so we get together, we encourage each other, we spend some time together, we get to eat together. <clears throat> I was there with my friend Dan, who preaches out in Ohio. Dan and I first met when we both attended a retreat down in Kentucky. And so this has become kind of our reunion every year. We get together and so I got to be with Dan. I got to be with my friend Dick Miller. Dick Miller, who has just been just like a brother to me and has been such, such a wonderful person. And uh, I got to spend time with Dick. Dick has a young man that he's kind of mentoring, a young guy who's a youth minister. And uh, his name's John. And John was there with us also. Oh, I should mention also, uh, Clark Irwin was there. And for those of you who know Clark, you know that there was going to be some trouble sooner or later, right? You know, Clark, you know that, right? Clark's probably watching this as he's preparing for his sermon in a few minutes. I don't know. So one of the things that they do at the National Preaching Summit every year that I think is just wonderful, at the end of the, at the, the final session, Drew, the guy who leads us, gets up and he says, would, would all the Bible college students stand up? Because there are several schools that bring students there to get a little extra training and kind of get some experience with these kind of things. So all of these Bible college students stand up and there's a lot of them this year. And I hear from about four rows behind me, I hear Clark Irwin say, Brett, get up. I laughed and my friends were like, oh, stand up. So I, I stood up for a second, you know, because I'm going back to school. So I, that was funny and I sat back down. And then Drew, the guy up on the stage, he said, I want all you older guys to get around those young people and lay hands on them and pray for them. And all of a sudden... My friends surrounded me, laid hands on me, and began to pray for me. I, I thought this was just going to be a joke, but all of a sudden, there they were laying hands on me and praying for me. And I said, oh, this, this is happening. I, I, this is really happening. And I need to receive this now. I need to... And it, it was beautiful. Those guys started praying for me. <laughs> After a, as we got started, all of a sudden, I, <clears throat> someone else walked up to us and I realized it was Dr. Jerry Taylor, one of the keynote speakers there. This wonderful, wise man of God. And, and he comes over to us and he lays his hands on, on John because John's the young guy in our group. And I said, I whispered, I said, no, Dr. Taylor, it's me. I'm the student. John doesn't need your prayers. He laughed and put his hand on my shoulder and continued to pray for John, thankfully, also. But... They prayed for God's leading. They prayed for wisdom. <laughs> Good luck with that. They prayed for, they prayed for God's guidance for me, and they um, they prayed for my studies and and for my openness for for God to use me. and And I sat there. I stood there and said to myself, "I I needed this. I really did." 
It's been a rough couple of weeks. I've shared with you some about what's going on at Lincoln with the changes they're making. And that's, that leads to a lot of concern. A lot of things are up in the air. I will be one of the last to graduate in my program. My program is being discontinued right after I graduate. They're going to see to it that, that me and the, the last few that are in that program will graduate. But, but there have been some decisions I had to make. I had to speak to one of my professors who was there, thankfully, and about some changes we had to make. And he said, yeah, Mark Scott, he's one of the professors there. And Mark says, yeah, we can do that. And the other professor is in Albania. And uh, so I had a text with him in Albania to talk to him about some of the changes. He says, yeah, we can make, we can make these changes. And so, you know, we, we were, there's been a lot of uncertainty. And while there's still some uncertainty about how all this is going to shake out, something inside me changed because of that prayer. Something inside me changed, and I, and I feel ready to meet that uncertainty. You know, when we pray, very often we're asking God to change our circumstances. He, we want Him to change whatever it is that we're going through. We want God, fix this problem, God. Make this sickness go away. Meet this need, God. But what we see in Scripture is that prayer, prayer does not always change our circumstances. Rather, what we see, especially in this text we're going to look at today, what I want you to see is this. Prayer may not change your circumstances, but it will always change you. And I think there's no place we see that more clearly than in the garden as Jesus is praying. We're going to look at Mark chapter 14 today, verses 32 through 36. If you're following along in your Bibles, it's page 851 in those blue Bibles in front of you. Mark chapter 14. And this prayer is just a small part of everything that happens in the garden. If we read on, we find that the disciples fall asleep we find that Judas shows up and betrays Jesus. We find that some one of the disciples cuts off the ear of a soldier with a sword. We find out later that's Peter. And in the end, Jesus is still arrested. But in these five verses, we see what prayer does for Jesus and what prayer can do for us. Prayer may not change your circumstances, but it always changes you. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, sit here while I pray. And He took with Him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Then going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You hear where Jesus' prayer takes him. Because your prayer can take you to the same place. Prayer may not change your circumstances. But prayer will change your perspective. Jesus' prayer in the garden is one of those key moments in the Gospel. It's one of those moments that, that, we, that is so essential in telling the story of Jesus here on earth. It's one of those key moments leading up to the cross. In fact, it's so important, we have it right there in one of our stained glass windows. The third one from the left is that moment. 
And the scene confronts us with Jesus' suffering. We, we, read the, we read about His prayer in the garden. We hear about His anguish. We hear about Him praying and sweating drops of blood. We read in verse 33 that He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus knows what's ahead of Him. The cross is ahead. His death is ahead. That is a very real presence here in the garden. And so He prays that this might not happen. He prays for God the Father to change His mind. And yet, you just look at the fourth window, and there it is. The cross still happens. And so we have to ask the question, did Jesus' prayer in the garden fail? Did His prayer fail? Now, now we wouldn't dare ask that question of Jesus. We would not dare say, oh, Jesus didn't get what He prayed for. But we'll ask that question of ourselves. We will put ourselves to that kind of scrutiny. We'll put our own prayers to that kind of scrutiny. We pray for someone to be healed and they die anyway. And we think, well, we just didn't pray enough, did we? I guess we just didn't take that seriously enough. We didn't take prayer seriously enough. I, it's been 30-some years. But I remember being at a prayer meeting in college for a, a friend, a fellow student who, who had been through just a, a horrible physical ordeal a horrible horrible thing had happened to him and he was in the hospital it was very touch and go at the moment and we gathered to pray it was very uncertain and the person leading that prayer meeting said guys if john dies i hope you can live with yourselves knowing that you didn't pray enough wow now i knew that was wrong when i heard that but I've come to see that kind of that kind of talk is abusive. That's spiritual abuse. That is that is not your place. And we see that even from Jesus' own prayer. If you'd only prayed harder, Jesus, you just didn't take this seriously enough, did you? If if you'd only prayed harder, Jesus, maybe if you'd chosen better friends who could stay awake and pray instead of falling asleep, Jesus. Jesus doesn't get what he prays for, but his prayer is not a failure. Rather, what comes from this prayer is not a change of circumstance, but something more personal, something inside. What comes from this prayer is a change of perspective. You know, the, the Jesus who leaves the garden sees things differently from the Jesus who entered the garden. Entering the garden, He sees pain. He sees darkness. He sees, he sees suffering. He sees what He's about to suffer. Sky Jatani in his book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer?, Sky refers to this as the central paradox of the Christian faith. By surrendering Himself to the darkness of the world, Jesus overcame it. There are things in your life that you cry out and you say, God, I don't want this. I don't want this to happen. I don't want things to be like this. Take it away. But pay attention to what He's doing inside of you. Not outside to the circumstance, but how He's changing you, how He's changing your perspective on the problems. Prayer may not always change our circumstance, but it does change our perspective. We also see from Jesus' prayer here that, that prayer will strengthen your endurance. We pray, we pray out of our weakness, don't we? We pray out of our weakness. That's, that's where a lot of our prayers come from because we know what we can't do. We know what we can't fix. I've been in hospital rooms. I've been in people's homes. I've sat there beside deathbeds. And I've said to people, you know, 
I can't fix cancer. I don't know how to fix cancer. But what can I pray for? What can I do? And very often the response is, pray for my family. Pray for my wife. Pray for my kids. Pray for my grandkids. Pray for them to have strength to endure. We need to honor those kind of prayers also. We need to honor those prayers. Not just prayers for healing and prayers for a change of circumstance, but, but prayers for a change of heart. Prayers for endurance. And you hear Jesus' prayer very clearly. Hear the weight of these words in verse 34. And He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Jesus is not being dramatic here with His words. He's not overstating His pain. He is really feeling this. He has come to a moment of despair. I can't help but think when I read that, I can't help but think of what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, writing of the troubles that Paul had, and others had experienced in Asia. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul writes, we couldn't go on. Jesus is saying to the Father, I can't go on. I can't do this. And so He takes that despair to the Father and then somehow, somehow He endures. I kind of wonder if that's not one of the reasons He takes friends with Him. Why He doesn't take friends with Him to, to pray with Him, to pray for Him. There is so much that we can offer to others when we pray for them when we lift them up, when we encourage them. Verse 34 again. Verse 34, Jesus says, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. If we heard one of our friends say that, if we heard a friend say, I am so sad right now, I just can't stop thinking about death. I am so sad right now. I am just sad. I am burdened to death. If we heard one of our friends say that, we would, we would wonder if they're not suicidal, wouldn't we? We would think about suicide. We would think they're contemplating something. That's what we would hear. Did you know that one of the very few, one of the very few proven effective treatments for suicidal behavior is to send someone an encouraging note? Did you know that? One of the very few proven effective treatments for suicidal behavior is to send someone an encouraging note. Send a caring letter to that person. We can do that, can't we? We do that. Donna, Donna sends notes all the time. Maxine sends us. So many others of you send notes out and I hear about them. I hear people tell me, I got a letter, I got a note. It is so encouraging. Letting people know that you care. Letting them know that you're praying for them. That helps them endure. Prayer does that. Prayer strengthens your endurance. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians there, after Paul says, we despaired of life itself. He goes on and in verse 10, Paul writes, God delivered us. God delivered us from such deadly peril. And then verse 11, he writes, you also must help us by prayer. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted to us through the prayers of many. And Jesus here feels like He can't go on, but we know He does. He does go on. 
Prayer strengthens your endurance. Your prayers do that for you and your prayers do that for other people. Prayer may not always change your circumstance, but it can change your perspective. It may not always change your circumstance, but it can strengthen your endurance. And prayer prayer will enlarge your hope. As Jesus begins His prayer, you, you hear what His hope is. You hear the hope that Jesus has. It says in verse 35, going a little farther, He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from Him. If it were possible. The, the Greek word there is the word dunamis, by the way. Possible. It's, it's the Greek word for power, by the way. It's, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's the Greek word for power. Jesus prays that if God has the power, <laughs> does God have power? God, if you have the ability, God, if you have the power, if you're able to do this, I want this cross to, to pass from me. I want this trial to be gone. Re- remove this Remove this cup if you have the capability. That's that's his hope in verse 35. His hope is that he would not be subject to this because in that moment, Jesus cannot see past the cross. His only hope, his only hope is that the Father might change his mind. And you have been there. And if you haven't been there, you know someone who has been there. Many of you have been to that point where you've looked at what's right ahead of you and you've said, God, I can't do this. This is asking too much. I can't do this. I can't hear this diagnosis. I can't see this loved one suffer. I can't handle this news. And your hope was that God would have the power to just make it go away. It's gone. That God would hear you and just lift it. And you would go on your merry way and they all lived happily ever after. But you see, if we give our heart to prayer, it may not change our circumstances, but it will, it will enlarge our hope. A hope that sees beyond that diagnosis. A hope that sees beyond the pain. And for Jesus, a hope that sees beyond the cross to what is on the other side of the cross Verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. That's that word for power again. You have the power to do all things. All things are possible for you. Remove remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You hear that? Yet not what I will, but what you will. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in that prayer, our hope is enlarged beyond the moment, beyond the temporary, beyond the pain, beyond the circumstances. I think Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us about Jesus in this very moment. I think it's speaking of this moment in the garden, this moment leading up to the cross. Hebrews 12.2 says of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him endured 
the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus prayed, not what I will, but what you will. And God willed joy on the other side of the cross. And I wonder for us, could there be a hope that is greater than the hope that we pray about now? Could there be a hope that's greater than the hope that we pray about now? Could our perspective, might our perspective be too small? And might our endurance need strengthening, not be strong enough? And could it be that our eyes are not on a hope that is greater than we could even imagine right now? And could it be that we need to give ourselves to prayer to see those things happen? I remember it was my birthday, 2003. It was a Sunday that year. And we had a church picnic that day. We haven't had one of those in a long time. We ought to think about having a church picnic sometime. It's 2003. We had a church picnic out at, out at Harmon's. Chad, can we come out and pick now? We'd had a great time, and I came back home, and honestly, I was asleep on the couch. I was exhausted. I was tired. It was my birthday, after all. I needed a birthday nap. And while I slept on the couch, I got a phone call, and it was Diana Eckerd. Happy birthday, Diana, by the way. It was Diana Eckerd, and she said, Hey, Joe's in the hospital. Joe Harmon. And I said, I just saw him. He was at the, we were there. She says, Yeah, he got to feeling bad after the picnic and he went to he's at the hospital he's got looks like a gallbladder attack okay so I got my shoes on and I went to the hospital went to the emergency room they let me back into the little room where Joe and Pam were sitting he looked up and he he rolled his eyes he says what are you doing here I said supposed to be here he said ah it's just a gallbladder it's no big deal so we we prayed about what was just a gallbladder and then the next week they did surgery I think on Tuesday And we found out it wasn't just a gallbladder. There was more going on. And I went to see Joe in the hospital a few times that week. And one day we were praying and we were talking. And and I I have to confess, it was the weakest prayer. One of the weakest prayers I've ever prayed. One of the most faithless prayers I've ever prayed. But we prayed for healing. And I remember praying in that moment. And I I prayed, Lord, no matter what happens, no matter what is next, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be glorified in this. And amen, and I walked out. A few days later, Joe was back home, and I went down to the house to visit, and we were sitting on the couch. At that time, we knew that cancer, it was cancer. We knew what was ahead. We had a good idea of what was going to be ahead. And we prayed, and sitting there on the couch, I said, Joe, I, I don't know how to fix cancer. <laughs> So what do I pray about here? What do, we, what do we pray for? And I remember he sat back on the sofa and stroked his beard. And he said, Mr. Hammond? <laughs> I can still hear that. Mr. Hammond, you prayed about something the other day in the hospital. He said, you prayed that no matter what, you wanted, we wanted God to be glorified. And he said, I think I want that. He said, okay, let's pray about it. He's out there a couple days before he died even, Chad. And he's laying there on his bed. And I looked down and he's getting ready to pray. I said, Joe, 
you still want you still want God to be glorified through this. And he opened his eyes and smiled and shook his head. Yes. And so we prayed that God would be glorified. Well, that's what we prayed for. We prayed for a different perspective, didn't we? And we prayed for a greater endurance for that month that came, that strengthened endurance. And ultimately, ultimately, we prayed for a greater hope than just healing. We are always, we are always going to pray for God to change circumstances. Don't hear me say otherwise. We always want God to change circumstances. We are always going to seek healing. We are always going to seek wholeness. We are always going to seek restoration and health and, and healthy relationships. We, we want that for everyone. But we strive to understand that even if prayer does not change our circumstances, it does change us. And there are far worse things than trusting the will of a loving Father. There are far worse things than trusting the will of a God who loves you, who strengthens you, and who endured the cross for you. As we prepare to take communion today, we're going to sing the song, Draw Me Into Your Presence. We can't sing that song and we can't pray that prayer without also being willing to let Him draw us into His presence in the garden and allowing Him to be present in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the questions that we have. If we want to know Him, then like Paul, we have to be willing to know Him in our sufferings just as much as in our healing. Let's remember that as we pray for our needs. Let's remember that as we pray for the needs of those we love us, we, we love and who love us. And let's never take our eyes off of him. Let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll sing together. Father, that is that's not just our song, that is our prayer. Draw us into your presence. We want to know you. And so, Father, whatever is ahead, whatever it is that you take us through next, keep our eyes on you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, that, that was a, a path full of pain. That was a path that he did not want, but ultimately he's trusted your, your will and your presence. And we pray. We pray for the strength to trust You as well. We thank You today for the bread that reminds us that we were worth giving His life for. We thank You for the cup that reminds us of blood that was shed that didn't just, didn't just pay the penalty for our sin, but, but bound us together as family, as one body. And we pray Your blessing as we seek every day to live that out in the in the joys as well as in the sorrows that we share. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.